Good morning. I am Steve Sutherland. My co-host is Julian Amarante, and this is the inaugural edition of Bella Hoodman's Curse, a football podcast designed to share our enjoyment of all things football, as well as educate on the history of the game. Julian, how are you doing today? Very good, Steve. Uh, very excited to be here. How are you doing? I am doing well. Looking forward to discussing the groups and uh, and the overall history of the World Cup, as well as this Russian World Cup of 2018. Julian, why don't you just introduce yourself quickly to our listeners? Okay, uh, just to start off, of course, my name is Julian Amirante, and uh, you know, just so you know, I'm not a bit of a joker and a Johnny-come-lately. Um, uh, I am a former Canadian politics and Canadian public policy professor. Uh, I've worked at various universities. Um, when it comes to football, I, I'd like to think I'm a bit more than just a weekend warrior and a long-time fan. Uh, I've published several articles on a wide variety of subjects on sports, particularly football. Um, they range from uh, the changing political economy of European football to uh, labor and sports. Uh, also peppered with a smattering of articles on sport, nationalism, baseball, and hockey. Um, here comes the qualifiers. Uh, I am an AC Milan fan. I'm also a Boca Juniors fan. And I like to think of myself as uh, what Eduardo Galliano once referred to as a beggar of good football. Uh, however, I do have a checkered past for being rather sectarian in my support. I do often lapse, but uh, I think I can be excused given that my lapses usually occur when they're dealing with Real Madrid and Juventus. Um, my aim in doing this podcast is so that I continue moving forward uh, as being a fan of the sport rather than a supporter of a club, and of course also to kind of educate and fill in a few gaps that I think exist in the world of modern football, and particularly fandom. Steve, uh, what about yourself? Yeah, so as I said before, so I'm Steve Sutherland, also a fan of the game and a supporter for as long as I can remember. Um, qualifier for myself, I am a Manchester United fan. As we sit here, I have George Best looking down on me as we record this <laughs> podcast. Um, the idea for this podcast came many years ago when uh, Julian and I noticed that we would uh, we would be discussing different issues surrounding the game. We'd be discussing transfers that might happen, different outcomes that we think we would be seeing. And then two or three days later, we would be perusing a lot of the different websites uh, for commentary and see those exact same comments. Uh, so we figured, you know, why not? Let's take our shot, uh, see where it goes, and try and add some more depth to what we think is definitely missing in um, objective Canadian punditry surrounding uh, football. A uh, lot of arguments back in those days, a eh? lot of arguments. Uh, people used to think we were, I think, uh, a little bit crazy in, in, in our passion. Um, yeah, I'd like to say a word or two about the motivations. I mean, really, why not? Uh, everybody else is doing it, uh, so why, why shouldn't we? Um, again, I think, though, we want to kind of add something a little bit different. We want to bring a different twist on this. We would like this to be a little bit more democratic. We have a democratic kind of agenda to this pod. Uh, in our opinion, far too often, uh, football punditry, uh, like Steve said, is objectionable, particularly in the Canadian uh, uh, case. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, we would like to make this pod somewhat participatory. Uh, we've already signaled our intention to some of our Facebook members, and we'll be reaching out to them very soon. 
Um, one of the gaps that we identify is that there's a, a, a great need to inform new fans of the modern game of football about the history of the sport, the history of clubs, the history of players, tournaments, and so on. Um, the historical educated football fan, in my opinion, is a smart fan. And uh, I like talking to them because they usually have an incredible richness uh, in terms of analysis and enjoyment to the game. And I'd like to really bring that in here. Over the years, I've met people from all over the world who have something to talk about when it comes to the sport. Uh, it, it truly is the, the world's Esperanto, shall we say. Um, and I'd like to see more of these fans be involved, particularly some of my friends who, when I listen to them talk, uh, they really kind of blow me away in, in their analysis. But, um, I mean, one of the things I think that, you know, we might be considered a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit hubridic in our, in our kind of approach here, but uh, our aim is to kind of bring football back to a more person, personal level. Um, this is a sport that has great roots, particularly in if the, the public, you know, particularly in its very public beginnings. Um, Though the sport has become increasingly and incredibly corporatized, we'd like to contribute with, with our little drop of an effort in that vast pool that is football fandom. And we want to kind of try to democratize support. Um, we will have guests, i.e. friends, uh, media pundits, practitioners, scholars, etc. And uh, we hope to be bringing them to you soon. Lastly, I would also like to add uh, that we want to see a, a greater female presence uh, in football, and we want to contribute to that. We want to play our part, um, particularly at all levels. Uh, women's football and women involvement in football has grown exponentially and most likely has not been paralleled in any other sport. Uh, we feel that this is not only uh, that, well, let me step back a little bit. We feel that this should not only be reflected and recognized in this pod, but we should vigorously support this. Um, we will be doing this regularly in the future, and uh, as you probably already know, many of you can follow us on, on our Facebook group called Bella Hootman's Curse. Uh, we will be opening it up to a wide, wide variety of members, and uh, by the time this pod ends, we'll have some contact information, so you can also follow us on Twitter and so on and so on and so forth. Steve, is there anything you'd like to add here? No, Julian, I think you covered it. Um... I think some of our listeners may think um, it is interesting that we have two dudes here talking right now about uh, the need for women's involvement in football. Um, both of us have followed our national team uh, very closely. The Canadian women's national team has really been uh, a beacon, I would say, across almost all of football. You have women playing in Europe now that are Canadian, as well as in the uh, the women's leagues across North America. And what we hope to do is uh, include those voices and, and do what we can to help grow the game uh, and discussions around the game across North America. Uh, now for a quick break. All right, so that was, uh, we are back here now. And that was just a sample of national team chants from our hosts for this year's tournament, Russia. Julian, why don't you give us an introduction to the World Cup in Russia this year? All right. Um, the 2018 FIFA World Cup will be uh, the 21st FIFA World Cup. Um, it's essentially a quadrennial football tournament contested by the men's national teams and member associations of FIFA. 
Uh, it's scheduled this year to take place in Russia from June 14th to July 15th. And after the, the country is essentially awarded uh, the hosting rights on December 2nd, 2010, this will be the first World Cup held in Europe since 2006, when it was held in Germany, and the first ever to be held in Eastern Europe. All the stadium venues are in uh, European Russia to keep travel time manageable. Uh, they won't be extending it to more of the kind of Eurasian part of it. Uh, the final tournament uh, involves 32 teams, uh, which include 31 teams uh, that were essentially determined through qualify qualifying competitions. And the host, of course, is automatically qualified. Of the 32 teams, 20 will be making back-to-back -back appearances following the last tournament in 2014, including the defending champion Germany, while Iceland and Panama will both be making their first appearances at the FIFA World Cup. Uh, a total of 64 matches will be played in 12 venues located in 11 cities, and the final will take place on the 15th of July in the Luzhniki Stadium in Moscow. Now, uh, a few words here about the bidding procedure. Um, this is important when it comes to the question of Russia, as you will soon find out. Um, the bidding procedure to host the 2018 and the 22 World, uh, World Cups began in January 2009, and uh, the national associations had until February 2nd, 2009 to register their interests. Initially, nine countries placed bids uh, for the 2018 World Cup, but Mexico later withdrew from the proceedings, and actually Indonesia's bid was rejected by FIFA in February 2010. And that would have been an interesting place to have the World Cup, to be, in, uh, to be quite honest with you. Um, after the Indonesian government actually really, they, they failed to submit a letter of support during the bid, which is actually a technical mistake, uh, and it's kind of sad that that happened. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I've digressed a little bit, so let me get back onto the, the discussion about the bidding process, uh, because this is significant. The three remaining UEFA nations, which were basically uh, uh, were in the running, but there was also Australia, Japan, and the United States. And they gradually withdrew from the 2018 bids, and the UEFA nations were thus ruled out also for the 22 uh bid, which is in Qatar, by the way. Um, this is going to be significant because I think what we're seeing at this moment is um, I would actually argue that the World Cup is kind of fragile at this moment because the next two coasts have a wide degree of controversy, shall we say, surrounding them. Um, there were also bids by England, which I believe should have received the World Cup. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, there was a joint bid by the ne Netherlands and Belgium, and also another one by Portugal and Spain. And uh, I, I personally think that it's, it's long overdue that England has a World Cup. Um, we can get into reasons about this later as this pod grows. But I just want to say a few things. Uh, that It was on, 2000, on December 2nd, 2010, that they basically voted to have this. Russia won the right uh, to, to vote uh, to host the 2018. Um, there has been some controversial issues surrounding this, particularly the level of racism in Russian football. Uh, there is also the issue of discrimination against LGBT people in the wider Russian society. And of course, there's Russia's involvement in the ongoing conflict in the Ukraine. Uh, this has all raised calls for the tournament to be moved, particularly following the annexation of Crimea and the, and the military uh, intervention in eastern Ukraine. 
Um, of course, um, Seth Blatter declined requests for the tournament to be moved. I'm not a fan of Mr. Blatter, and I'm kind of gl glad he's gone. Although, uh, what do they say, Steve? Uh, they uh, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. Exactly. Um, the 2015 allegations and criminal investigations of corruption uh, actually took place and really opened uh, quite a bit of um, uh, public scrutiny, uh, including a Swiss inquiry into the bidding process for the 2018 World Cup. And this really intensified public discussion of the bidding process um, and the appropriateness of Russia's World Cup venue. Um, however, in late May 2015, uh, Putin, the president of, the, of Russia, said that he viewed the corruption investigation as an attempt by the U.S. to oust Seth Blatter, and that may be true. Uh, however, uh, at this point, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a done deal. Russia has the 2018 World Cup, and it's going to be interesting to see how all of these issues play out. And uh, as this World Cup plays out, we'll probably be making some kind of commentary and we will be kind of reaching out to some of our uh, friends, uh, get their opinions and uh, solicit the opinions of also some experts. Um, and something very important here also, this will be the first World Cup with VAR, which is essentially video. So that is a video assistant referee. Steve, take it from here, please. Um, now, Julian and I have had many discussions. Uh, I don't even know if I would call them discussions because we tend to get really loud uh, with issues of VAR and how VAR is currently either used or misused, depending on the league that it's in and how referees approach its use. Um, this being the second international tournament that VAR is going to be used with. So VAR was used with the Confederations Cup previously. And um, not without any type of um, issues, let's well, say. Well, we should tell we should tell our, our friends who are listening how we feel. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about VAR? You're uh, for it, right? Yeah. So I I am in favor of VAR. I think the game has gotten uh, very fast that it has made uh, it much more difficult for referees to make uh, the right calls. Um, However, my issues with VAR are not that VAR exists, but rather on its implementation. And I think that is something that FIFA and other member states should look at um, after this World Cup. I think this World Cup, considering all of the other controversies that are surrounding it, may actually be the best place to test VAR because it will make sure that VAR is not the biggest controversy at this tournament. Um, Although here's hoping that maybe it is the uh, the biggest controversy. I think it was important to bring this in. Um, being Canadian, I've never seen, uh, and being young, I've never seen my national team participate in a World Cup. But uh, having seen having seen England be absolutely robbed back in 2010 uh, by uh, by the referee not seeing the ball very clearly cross the line when England played against Germany that uh, VAR and most importantly, goal line technology are included in this tournament? Well, I'm against VAR. Um, now, there is one proviso. I am only in favor of VAR as it comes into goal line technology, okay, determine, to determine whether the ball crosses the line of the, of the goal or not. Uh, my reasons for uh, being against VAR are kind of complicated. 
Um, I would have liked to have seen them kind of introduce this at a more preliminary level than actually introducing it right away at the World Cup. I think that we are going to see some major controversies. I don't think it is efficient. I think it takes the human element out of the game, and I think it also breeds cynicism. Now, uh, these are issues uh, that we will probably kind of sharpen as the pod uh, goes on. Not this particular one, but also the other pods. But at the moment, we'll just leave it at that, you know, uh, that we agree to disagree. And I'm sure there'll be some very, very rich debates about the use of VAR throughout this World Cup. Um, so just one qualifier for how it's going to work for this tournament. So there are four things that the that the video assistant referee will be reviewing. Uh, one will be goals. Um, one will be decisions made that either lead to goals or don't lead to goals. Uh, red cards will be reviewed, uh, as, well as, the, as <laughs> well as the cases of mistaken identity. So say the referee goes to give a red card to somebody or yellow. and, and sure. a yellow and it's not the right person. At the end of the day, however, all that the VAR, uh, VAR referee can do is make suggestions to the referee. The referee can, in turn, decide uh, to ignore any suggestions that come from VAR, which, of course, leads to more controversy. But enough with that. Well, wait, I just want to add one thing. All I want to say when it comes to referees and officials in the game of football is you can only hope to break even. And I will... Remain true to that maxim all the time. Okay. Uh, Anything else? Agree to disagree. Okay. Um, what we'll do now is we're just going to lead into a little bit of Russian history in football, including the Soviet Union. Uh, again, I pass to Julian, who is the historian of the group. Well, um, Russian football, Steve, uh, as you know, has a very, very rich history. Uh, a lot of people don't really know this, I think. Um, they have pedigrees, right? Uh, in 1960, in France, the Soviet Union won the inaugural European Championship. Um, they also appeared in the final four years later in Spain and lost to the hosts under some very suspicious circumstances as uh, Generalissimo Franco, it was alleged, we'll say alleged, engaged in some shenanigans. And this is where, you know, people kind of say, look, if we have VAR, we don't have these shenanigans. And, you know, I'm willing to listen to that. But anyways, as I said earlier, uh, you know, Soviet Union and Spain met in the final in 64 uh, in a tournament which was lit rightly labeled the clash between communism and fascism. Spain won the match and the tournament with an entirely Spanish-born side. And uh, the Spanish press drew parallels to the nationalist triumph with overtones that El Generalissimo Franco's regime had saved the country as a whole. But that's history of Spanish football. Let's move back to this question of, of, of Russian football, or shall we say in many ways the Soviet football uh, uh, team. Um, the Soviet national team made it to the finals again in 1972, where they lost against West Germany, and again in 1988, where they lost to the Netherlands. An incredible final, if you were lucky to see that. We saw uh, Marco van Bastian, Ruud Hullet, Frank Reichardt, a, a great uh, national Dutch team. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that the Soviet Union won the gold medal in the 1956 Olympics in Melbourne. And a lot of people don't know this, but before, uh, you know, the World Cup took place, and right up until, I would say, the 80s, 
winning the Olympics is considered a prestigious tournament. So to win it in 56, and then they also won it again in 1988 in Seoul, is quite an achievement. Um, if we move to the club level, uh, things get really interesting. Um, the, the team that really strikes me, and Steve will have something to kind of contribute to this also, is Dinamo Kiev. They were the first team, although they were considered Ukrainian, you know, or, or sorry, not considered, they are a Ukrainian side. Um, uh, they're considered as one of the great clubs that won the Cup Winners Cup in 1975. Uh, and they also won the subsequent European Super Cup. And then they won the Cup Winners Cup again in 1985. Now, the reason why I bring up Dinamo Kiev is that they played in the old Soviet Super League, or the Soviet League, as it was called at the time. I'm, I'm sure, was it the Soviet League? No, Soviet Top League. Yeah, right? the Soviet yeah. Top League. And it basically had all teams from uh, that were part of the Soviet Union. And that made for, I think, a, an incredibly interesting championship. And Dinamo Kiev, in many ways, was considered like the team in the Soviet Top League. Um uh, even though they 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 uh, they're Ukrainian, uh, they won the trophy of the Soviet Top League quite regularly with a very very famous coach uh, Lobanovsky. Uh, I urge you to look him up. The guy uh, was uh, I guess the Eastern European Mourinho of his time, if that's what you want to kind of uh, compare him to. Um, my other interesting club, I find this really interesting, is um, Dinamo Tbilisi. Now Dinamo Tbilisi is a Georgian club. And they won the UEFA Cup in the 1980-81 season. And this is a great feat. Um, what was also very interesting was the club that they met was Karl Jais Jena of East Germany, another Eastern European team. And it was a very, 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 very rare occasion in the Cold War where both teams in a European Cup final were both from Eastern, Eastern Europe. Um, but as some of you will know, again, you know, Tbilisi is in Georgia. And it, it's quite frankly a very, very, very small club. They also played in the uh, Soviet Top League, and they won the, 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 the. I think they won the championship a couple of times. If I'm correct, right, Steve? Yeah. So um, in that matchup against Karl Zeitsena of East Germany, they uh, they actually won that game two to one. Um, they're actually one of a handful of teams uh, from that Soviet top league, along with Dinamo Kiev, Dinamo Moscow, that were never relegated. Uh, they did win the Soviet title in 1978. They won two Soviet Cups in 1976 and 1979, and then also won that UEFA Cup Winners' Cup in 1981. Yeah, and they uh, they were predominantly mostly Georgian players. That right? is correct. Yeah, yeah. They they did have like a few Russian players and, and I think Ukrainian players too, right? Um, you know, look, it has to be said for a club of this size in 1980, when you had the height of Liverpool, okay, and uh, British soccer was just uh, dominating uh, at that time, this is a remarkable achievement. I think it's a remarkable achievement. Um, like, uh, uh, if you kind of like put this in perspective now, uh, after the, the, the downfall of the Soviet Union, uh, shall we say, Russian proper sides have really not won major international European competitions until 2007, 2008 with the Zenit St. Petersburg. And again, uh, even though they're a Ukrainian side, it's worth mentioning uh, um, that Shakhtar Donetsk won the, U the UEFA Cup or the Europa Cup the following year, 2008, 2009. And I do give them mention because 
Given the historical close relationship with the old Soviet top league, a lot of these teams developed out of the old Soviet system. And this is why you have this extraordinary rich, rich tradition. It had a lot to do with state involvement in the creation of sports. Um, Steve, you want to add something here? Yeah. So from there, um, we now move really to what is the Russian top division or uh, what is now being renamed as the Russian Premier League. So Spartak Moscow are historically Russia's most winningest club. Uh, they've won the league title 10 times. Current holders are Lokomotiv Moscow. Uh, in Russia, uh, the six teams uh, who had played in the Soviet top league in 1991, so that'd be Cheska Moscow, Spartak Moscow. Cheska, is it C-S-K-A, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Torpedo Moscow, uh, Dinamo Moscow, Spartak Vladikavkaz, and Lokomotiv Moscow uh, were supplemented with 14 teams from lower divisions uh, to form a 20-team Russian top division. Um, and Julian and I discuss how many teams should really be in a top division uh, quite often. And the Russians actually have been very smart because they reduced the number of teams in the top division from uh, to 18 in 1993 and to 16 in 1994. Uh, since then, smart. the Russian league... Uh, has consisted of 16 teams, except for a short-lived experiment with having 18 teams in 1996 and 1997. This means that they play 30 games and are usually much more well-rested for European conquest. Uh, unlike most other European football leagues, the league traditionally run uh, the leagues traditionally run in the summer, uh, unlike from March to November, to avoid playing games in cold and snowy weather. Yeah, it's in, kind of tough to play in Moscow in, in January, I think. Well, you used to play in Sudbury, so that's got to be pretty... <laughs> like you have to imagine it's, it's, it's pretty yeah. similar. Uh, um, I, I just uh, want to make a, a, a few comments here before we go on. Um, uh, the Russian League has actually been very uh, adept at export, I mean, uh, sorry, importing. I, I, uh, they've exported a lot of great players, but they've actually imported uh, a lot of players from South America and Africa. And this is significant and because, you know, I'd like to underscore the kind of recent controversies that have colored Russian football, um, uh, and that is racism. Uh, racism is very prevalent in the Russian game. Often uh, uh, players of African origin uh, or whose skin color is not white are subjected to some of the most horrendous abuse imaginable. Um, it is not a pleasant sight, uh, let's just put it that way. And uh, I really, really would hope that this does not uh, reveal itself during this World Cup. And, um, and if it does, which I think it will, I hope that it is met uh, uh, with um, some serious sanctions. I mean, this 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 can't go on this way anymore. Uh, you know, uh, it was never right in the first place, and essentially, we should be evolving as a species. And I, I don't think there's any room for that in the game. Now, we're not saying that Russian football is the only country that experiences racism. this level of racism. All of them do. And uh, I think, to me, the controversy that's going to be very interesting to focus on is going to be uh, any time that Russians and English folk are in the same city for a match at, uh, at any given yes. time, if that happens, uh, after seeing what happened in the, in the European Championships where mm -hmm. both the Russians and English were pretty much told, yeah. uh, get your fans to calm down or you're both, you know, you're done. 
you're this, not participating this, in the tournament anymore. This could be a really ugly World Cup on this. I, I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I really hope not. But I mean, we've seen uh, clashes. We saw clashes during uh, uh, the last Euro, and I would not be surprised if uh, we get to see uh, this really ugly underbelly of the game reveal itself. Now, admittedly, the Olympics did not have a huge outpouring of of this type of issue so let's hope that we continue to see it i thought you were going to mention corruption i was actually going to say that you know maybe my manchester united colors are showing here but like corruption is more of like a russian football export primarily to the english league uh no mentions of any teams but let's just well i mean let's 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 just unpack that a little bit, right? Uh, in the new Russian game, in the new Russian league, we've seen the rise of the oligarchs, right? And a lot of money has been... I mean, there's no, I think, uh, uh, harm in saying that a lot of money has been laundered through the league. Uh, you know, we've seen also also Russian oligarchs pop up in the, in, in the Premier League, uh, particularly Chelsea, as we know. They've propped up uh, in uh, the the Scottish League, and uh, I believe also France. France. Monaco, Monaco yeah, is yeah. in. Um, yeah. So I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, look, you, you'd have to be a complete moron not to kind of uh, theorize that the money that basically is going into these clubs is basically laundered money. I mean, uh, now, like again, right? Uh, this is uh, corruption is not an exclusively Russian thing. Uh, you know, being a lifelong city of fan, uh, I mean, you know, this is the country uh, that gave us the Cosa Nostra. Uh, I'm pretty sure a few referees are not going to be uh, beyond uh, uh, being uh, bought out by certain clubs. We won't mention their names, but uh, you know, the culture, culture, uh, uh scandal of. Uh, Several years back reveals just how deep, and also you know there there was there was a refereeing game fixing uh, scheme going on in Germany. Uh, we've seen that happen in France, uh, and typically corruption in England. If we're if we're going to just take a quick kind of perusal across the leagues, you have the Taylor Report, which yeah. you know with, with dealt Precisely. with the bungs and, and the bribery of moving players. Um, most recently, like even after the Taylor Report, we still saw this with. Um, Oh, the transfers of uh, Mascherano and Tevez to yeah, to West Ham. Right. So these these corruption issues are, again. We're not saying that they are specific to Russian football, but rather that they are something that uh, we may see happen in this World Cup. Can can we at least conclude that we'll see that when it comes to football, corruption is something that is kind of embedded throughout the world. And in many ways, I don't even know how to say this. Maybe this is something we can talk about at another pod or we can kind of bring up. But it kind of brings that kind of, um, you know, mystique to the game because you really never really know, right? I mean, we have history that always shows in terms of bias, right? And, I mean, this is something we'll be discussing, right? For example, the bias to Real Madrid, uh, you know, or the bias towards uh, Juventus, you know. Admittedly, the bias towards my club. We're famous for bullying referees. Yeah. Uh, Fergie time is is well documented. It is something that... Uh, Boca uh, in Argentina, uh, the uh, the owner of AC Milan, Silvio Berlusconi, I mean, we, we, we couldn't find a more corrupt individual. Like the list, what we're saying is the list goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is important. To, uh, it's important to 
to understand that in order for us to better understand even our own clubs uh, and admit that our clubs are also uh, also at fault in these types of things. Well said. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to take another quick break, and when we return, a breakdown uh, for this year's World Cup of all of the different groups. All right, and we're back. Julian, did you recognize that chant that we just played? Oh, yeah, that's the Viking one, right? Uh, everybody seems to have adopted this. I actually think the fans in Portland do this now, right? No, Toronto, actually, so the, the TFC fans, uh, oh, yeah. as, as a former Red Patch boy, uh, the TFC fans will do it now. So you saw it during the playoffs at the end of... With the drum, right? Yeah, yeah so you'll see the yeah, drum. Yeah. Um, yeah, it has been widely adopted. Uh, let's just be glad that it's not the Vuvuzelas from South Africa that have been adopted, and it's something much more fan-friendly uh, and TV-friendly for those who can't uh, can't participate in the atmosphere of the stadium. Well, I remember the, the wave in Mexico in 1986, which that, that was the kind of uh, the big thing at that time. Well, the so wave has never gone away. The wave right. got adopted like across sport. Board, yeah. Like you, you but, but I have no problem with this, this chant being adopted across the sport too. It's a great innovation for, for, for the fans, I think. And you know what? Uh, and it's something that I actually really enjoyed because, uh, and we'll, we'll get into this after, but strictly with Iceland, it's really nice to have a country whose fans are so well respected across uh, across pretty much across the world. It reminds me a lot of the Irish team uh, oh. and the Irish supporters in both 1990 and 1994 in Italy and the USA. Fantastic supporters. But I, I want I want to uh, just uh, add a caveat here. I like the Vuvuzelas. I'm maybe one of the few people who did, but I yeah, like the Vuvuzelas. No, no, that's that's another one of those agree to disagree. So. For the first group, uh, Group A, we have Russia, Saudi Arabia, Uruguay, and Egypt. Julian, what are your insights? I'm going to be brief. You know, I'm going to try to be brief with all the groups and just kind of create a little bit of a discussion here. Um, for me, the group is intriguing insofar as that Russia might not make it out of this stage. Um, Uruguay will be very difficult to beat, and so will Egypt, especially with an inspired or an informed Mo Salah. Um, no, you know, I, I don't want to limit Egypt to one player. Uh, I really don't. I mean, uh, Egypt is much more than Mo Salah. They have a very, very strong tradition, and they produce great players, and a lot of their players now are, are making their way into the, the bigger European leagues, so they'll be tough. Uh, I don't see Saudi Arabia being a factor here at all, to be honest with you. So uh, I would have to agree. Russia is definitely in difficult. Uh, they're the lowest-ranked team in the tournament. Uh, and they might not get out of the group. If they don't make it out of the group, they'll be the second team uh, to have hosted the tournament that doesn't make it out of the group stage. Do you remember who the first one is? South Africa. That, yeah, That's exactly. Right, yeah. Um, Salah has probably been the best player in world football over the last year. However, uh, Egypt did not qualify well. I don't know if you uh, if you remember, but they required a penalty yeah. in like the 90, yeah. like 90 plus minutes. Uh, in order to get in. So that's going to be very interesting for them to see if they can bring the the team together. Uh, I think you discount Saudi Arabia, actually. So this is Saudi Arabia's fifth World Cup, uh, and their manager is Juan Antonio Pizzi, uh, who has experience winning international tournaments. He won the Copa America Centenario with Chile. So don't discount the importance of what a manager who knows how to win international tournaments can do. Sure. Uh, lastly, uh, Uruguay must be seen as the class team in this group. 
they should qualify with ease. Tabrez has been there for a long time, has mm-hmm. a team that plays exactly how he likes them to play. But what he's also done this year is bring in a, a significant youth injection to the team. Well, I, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to uh, just add just a couple of things here. Um, I don't like basing um, teams' qualification run uh, with their performance. You know, it's not. I don't think it'll be an extension. Usually, teams change, you know, as they go into these tournaments. But yes, if we're going to base it on their, on their previous form, Egypt has a problem. So, I mean, I'm going to pick uh, Uruguay and Russia to go through. But Russia makes it through by the skin of its teeth. Yeah, so I've actually predicted the same. So I'm thinking that Uruguay is going to win the group quite easily. Uh, Russia is going to finish second on gold differential only. Well, okay. We'll have to remember that. Okay. All right. On to Group B, uh, we have uh, two probably the most uh, two of two teams that very well could win the tournament, as well as two teams that you know could could show us an upset. So we have Portugal, Spain, Morocco, and Iran. I believe that we will see extremely exciting football in this group. Spain and Portugal, of course, have to be considered uh, favorites to go through. Uh, But they're going to have to be at their best. I mean, they're going to have to be focused and very, very uh, uh, tough. uh, uh, Because if you take a look at both Morocco and Iran, and you look at their personnel, these are experienced sides, and they cannot be taken lightly. Um, so this will be interesting. Uh, I, I actually think this, you know, that they have the, the so-called groups of death. I think this will be one of the groups of death. I think it, I think you're right in that we could see one of these teams definitely upset. Um, I think we both agree that Spain and Portugal will most likely be the teams to go through in this group. Spain, however, uh, and I know that you think this based on discussions we've had, is that Spain's probably going to win this tournament. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the team I'm picking to win this World Cup is Spain. Uh, and I think they could do it. Um, great teams are, ba- uh, are based on great foundations, and Spain has the greatest keeper in the world playing right now, right now. In, in De Gea. And perhaps the best midfield. I think that's, I think that's a fair argument. Uh, yeah. Now, Portugal recently won the Euro tournament. They're built, you know... A lot of people are surprised to hear this, but they're built on a very solid defensive foundation. Yes. That, you know, you remember when Spain won the World Cup, it was a bunch of 1-0 victories. Exactly. And Portugal is very much designed to do the exact same thing because they're built on that solid defense that and that can support one of the best players in the world right now in Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I was just going to say, you, you can't count out any team without Cristiano Ronaldo. What's going to be very interesting is to see, they've made some very significant changes to the team that they're bringing to this tournament yep. based on the Euro team. Um, and seeing how Andre Silva, after a year at AC Milan, can support Cristiano Ronaldo up front, possibly as a second striker. I, you know, although I'm picking Spain to win the tournament, uh, it would not surprise me if Portugal walked away with a World Cup this time around. It really wouldn't. Um, in terms of Morocco, so it's been 20 years since Morocco uh, yeah. last appeared in the World Cup. Uh, their squad is incredibly youthful. So they're going to run. They're going to attack teams. This is this is how they play. Um, 
I imagine this tournament is being seen strictly as an opportunity for them to gain experience uh, just based on the ages. But they are, you know, a lot of people accuse Manchester United of not being able to win anything with kids and they did it. There is always the opportunity for an upset with a youthful team because there's no pressure. Yeah, but do you see Morocco getting past the round of 16? No. Do you even see them getting out of this group? I, I don't think so. But the team that I think can cause the upset is Iran. Yes. So uh, they were Great. the first team to qualify from, from Asian qualifying. Uh, they went unbeaten across all 18 games in qualifying. Uh, and uh, their manager, Carlos Quiroz, uh, will know. Brilliant guy. Like, he knows this Portuguese side well and, and can definitely... Uh, definitely has a shot at an upset, um, depending on how results go uh, differently. Julian. So what do you say, man? Portugal, uh, Spain? Uh, Portugal, Spain. Yeah, but, so do I. Uh, well, Spain, Portugal, sorry. Spain to win the group, Portugal to finish in second. Again, goal differential. Okay, Steve likes to pick first, second. Uh, I don't do that. I'm just going to pick teams that go through. Uh, I, I, I don't think I have... Uh, my, I don't think my predictive capabilities are as good as his. Uh, I, I just think that this is the group where we're going to see very good football, to be honest with you. I, I think it's one of the groups. I think there are a couple other groups that are going to surprise you a little bit, uh, a little bit more. On to Group C. Uh, in Group C, we have France, Australia, Peru, and Denmark. Julian. Okay, uh, I'm going to really disappoint a few people here and I think upset a few people. Um, every football hipster in the world is likely going to take France. Or Brazil. Well, well, we'll get to that later. But, I mean, let's just talk about this with, with, with France. On, on the surface, I really can't disagree with them, okay? Uh, and, I mean, the reason why is they have a tremendous repository of talent. But, okay... There's a big but. Um, I think, to be honest with you, France is going to be the team that's going to disappoint a lot of people in this tournament. Uh, despite the enormous talent that they have, I think they have one of the most mediocre coaches in 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 in, in this tournament. Yeah, and I get into all. Well, we yeah. can get into that. I'm sure you have something to say about that. Yeah. And also, when you consider. The personnel of Denmark, Australia, and Peru, and I'm going on a limb here. I think Peru is going to be the revelation of this tournament. I don't think they're going to win, but I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. I think that you'd be a fool to think that France can just show up and win. Okay, Just as in the previous group, Group B, uh, with Portugal, Spain, Spain uh, France will have to be on their best. They'll have to be ex exceptionally focused. Um, they'll have to be exceptionally disciplined. Uh, any slip in concentration uh, against any of these teams, and uh, they'll be punished. Uh, I, that, 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 that's my take on this. So I think there were a lot of surprises with that French team. Um, on paper, they're clearly the class of the group. But paper is one thing. Uh, how things play out are completely different. Yeah. And that comes down to tactics, and that comes down to the manager. <laughs> Is Deschamps the manager to ensure that they keep their concentration? No, absolutely, absolutely not. Uh, let's let's go back just for a second to that final France versus Portugal. Cristiano Ronaldo goes out before halftime. Even like I think it was in, he was gone by the first twenty minutes. Yeah, right? yeah. 
I don't trust Deschamps to make the personnel changes that are necessary to win the games when it happens. Um, listen, youthful exuberance again. It is a young French team yeah. still. Um, they are missing uh, a few players through injury, Kashalny being probably one of the more recognized and players. And maybe even Payet now too. That will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, anyway. Uh, Australia was the last team to book their place to the World Cup. Uh, they have an interesting mix of youth of experience. However, they only just signed their manager like a month and a half ago for yeah. the tournament. Uh, there's tons of discord in camp right now uh, over the inclusion of Tim Cahill. He's old, can't run anymore. I love Tim Cahill. I, I'm with you on that one. You but, got, how can you not love Tim Cahill? But... Uh, it, he was chosen over inform Hibernian striker Jamie McLaren, who actually led the, the the Scottish league in scoring this year, or came close to the top of the list. Either way, Australians, both in the in the team and in the media, are uh, incredibly disappointed that Jamie McLaren has not been included and that they chose Tim Cahill instead. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I, got, I must confess, I I'm, I'm not really on top of the Australian side. It would be really nice to get our Australian contingent in Frank Neshi and Federico Fuentes to kind of comment on this. They're both two big-time uh, uh, football supporters in Australia. Um, yeah, man, I, I, yeah, like, I, I, this is what I'm going with. I'm going to go with France and Peru to go through. Okay. Uh, Peru. So this is Peru's first... I, I had a few more. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Peru's first tournament since 1982. Uh, they're very well organized. They're also ranked 11th in the world. So I don't think they're that much yeah. of an upset team as you might be thinking. But again, FIFA's ranking system is... is absurd. Absurd. Exactly. Uh, and then Denmark, however, is right on their heels. So they're ranked 12th in the world. Yeah. Uh, and their fortunes, are, I think, are going to fall on, on two players. One who is the son of uh, Denmark's probably greatest ever soccer player uh, who led them to a European championship. Which I hope you're thinking one of the Laudrups. <laughs> no, 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 no. Schmeichel. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but I know. But no, how could you forget the Laudrups? Easily. Uh, but I think more importantly is going to fall on Christian Eriksen to lead the line for them. Yeah, they, they, they've got they've got that... that, that uh, uh, shall we say wild card? It's funny, you know. None of us had a word to say about Paul Pogba. Uh, you know, Pogba could be this could be his World Cup. I just don't think, you know, despite the shitload of talent that this man has, I just don't see him grabbing this tournament by the scruff of the neck. I don't know what it is about him. I would love to see him wake up. I just don't think it's going to happen. My opinion is that, again, going back to the racism issues that we expect to face in Russia, good is that point. the French team, that's where the French team is going to suffer. Big, good point. Um, that's a really good point. My picks for the group are France to win, Peru to edge Denmark. Interesting. Group D. I think this is the group of death. Uh, group D, we have Argentina, Iceland, Croatia, and Nigeria. Julian, what do you think? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I, I must confess that uh, uh, I have a great deal of affection for the Argentinian national team and Argentinian football in general. Um, look, this is the same scenario as groups B and C. Okay, now Argentina might be considered on the face of it the favorite, but I think this would be folly. 
I mean, again, if we take into the qualification run, which was very poor, they were very lucky to qualify, to be honest with you. Messi with a hat trick in the of last. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Iceland, Croatia, Nigeria, in my opinion, could easily beat Argentina based on, on, on Argentina's qualification form. However, nothing is ever constant. And Argentina has Lionel Messi, okay? And we are also overlooking some very, very talented footballers. So, uh, I mean, you know, this has to be taken into consideration. I also think, though, if Argentina is going to get out of this group, they're going to have to play just the way France, Spain, and Portugal are going to have to in the group. They're really going to have to show up in the beginning. Any kind of lapses in concentration, and they'll pay dearly. So I think the difference between France and Argentina at this point is Argentina has Sam Pauli. Like let's be let's be very clear. Sam Pauli is a good manager. Is a much better manager than Deschamps is. I think we can both agree. On I, that. I I would have to agree. I think where Argentina is going to find problems is that their starting goalkeeper doesn't start right for his club. Uh, their defenders are old. Otamendi has had one good season. Like congratulations, Otamendi, you had one good season. Can he replicate? If he if Otamendi can replicate that form into the World Cup and the midfielders find form for Argentina. Let's face it, Argentina could play nine attackers and just have one defender and and the keeper. Yeah, but that never works. We know that. It would be fun to watch, but yeah. it's, it's not going to work. But that's but I think Argentina's problem has been a lack of production of players that play in those positions. Yes, this time around, not in the past. Yeah, I think we saw it start to tail off at, uh, at the 2014 World Cup. Yeah. Um, and I think the roost, everything's coming to roost. Today. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, like you know, like Otamendi, I just don't see him like, uh, say, a, a Walter Samuel or, or uh, you know, a, a, a good stalwart center back. I mean, he plays in a system that is geared to attack, and I think that's that's what made him look well. I, I don't think he was really at Manchester City this year, really kind of like. Touted for being a defensive defender, he was. He scored a lot of goals. I mean, he they, they're going to join in the attack. This this could be Argentina's undoing. They have a very weak defense, and and, and I think anybody will tell you that. Um, as I said about Iceland, they've become favorites. Pretty much of they're the they're everyone's second team in this World yeah. Cup. Everyone wants to see Iceland do well. Smallest country to ever participate in the World Cup, and they play hard. And they play fun. They've yeah. got and they've got some really good players in this team that are playing in the Premiership yeah. and playing across Europe. They're going to be fun to watch. Uh, interesting note. So they lost their coach. Their coach uh, retired after the European tournament. Do you know what their coach is? Their current manager. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know what his his job is when he's not managing the no, national I team? No, I don't. He's a dentist. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I love guys who are who are part timers and, and get to this level. I mean, I just love that. That's what's beautiful about this game. Uh, who are you picking? Uh, uh, next up, just to discuss a little bit on these last two teams. Uh, oh, okay. You're, you're doing the team rundown. Yeah. Here. Okay. Uh, Croatia, perpetual underachievers. Like, <sighs> they should look to the experience of Rakitic, Mandzukic, Modric, and Perisic, who should. This team should win, could easily win the group the way if they play if they played the way they did in the opening stages of the Euro. This team could be really dangerous. If, if those four players specifically could replicate the form that they have for their club, uh, yeah. watch out. They could finally have that breakthrough at an international tournament that a lot of people have been waiting for. I agree. Uh, lastly, certainly not least, is this Nigerian team. Uh, they did not 
so they were the first team to qualify out of Africa um, from a group that had Cameroon, uh, Zambia, and Algeria. Uh, Nigeria did not have, they probably had one of the hardest paths to qualifying uh, for this World Cup in, in all of Africa. Um, so they deserve to be here. So they have stability in midfield, John Obi Mikel, uh, incredible youthful attackers in this team. Uh, and I think they could go deep into this tournament, possibly being the, the first African team to really, you know, what I think Ghana. Well, Cameroon, right? Went quarterfinals. Quarter well, there are two yeah. teams that have made quarterfinals yeah. at this point. Yeah. Uh, I, this Nigeria team could be a semifinal team. They're dark horse. They, they, they yeah. could play incredibly well. Um, the talent is there for sure. Yeah. Uh, like we both agreed, this is the hardest group to pick. Um, Who you take? I you don't you don't bet against the best player in the world. No, you don't. But you know, okay. Before I ask you again, uh, you know, based on their form, okay, Argentina could go out. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me. But here's what I'm going to pick before you do. I'm picking Argentina and Croatia in no particular order. Uh, I'm taking Argentina to actually win the group uh, and win the group handily uh, and surprise a lot of people. And it's going to throw a lot of people off going into the, into the knockout stages. Uh, and Nigeria finishing a very close second. Very good. Uh, on to Group E, uh, and I think this is probably the most boring group. I think we can both agree on this. Yeah, this is uh, the Brazil, Switzerland, Costa Rica, and Serbia. This is the easiest group to summarize. Uh, I, I take Brazil to walk out of this group with ease. Uh, Brazil, uh, this Brazil team is very strong. I mean, we were talking before the we started rolling on the pod. I mean. How good does a team have to be to keep Alexandro out okay, of the squad? So they, they, they're very strong. And uh, uh, despite my disdain for Neymar, I think they're going to go deep in this tournament. I mean, Switzerland has improved vastly. I mean, we've seen them. And uh, they had a great run, I mean, in, in the qualifying. But I don't see any of these teams challenging Brazil's depth and breadth at all. Uh, everyone expects Brazil to walk out of this group. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, they're going to win the group. Um, but do not expect these teams to just roll over for Brazil. No. Uh, ex expect them to play them hard, tackle them hard, because that is exactly the way to throw Brazil off of their game. Uh, Switzerland has a history of being a giant killer in European and yep. international tournaments. Uh, Costa Rica is bringing a similar team from the World Cup in 2014, where they won a group that had Uruguay, England, and Italy. That's right. Uh, uh, so yeah. you you cannot discount this Costa Rican team. But that team. was four years ago. Yeah, Gilor Navas will have to be big for them yeah. in net. Uh, he's been big for Madrid when called upon, um, and I think he can replicate uh, his form. Uh, Serbia will be interesting to watch, but it seems their problems in camp again. Right. This this seems to be uh, this seems to happen leading up to tournaments every year. Um, who do you think is going to get out of the group? I mean, easy, of course, Brazil. And I, I'm having trouble trying to kind of decide. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to pick Costa Rica to get out. Strictly because they um, they seem to play very exciting football in the opening rounds of the World Cup historically. And I think they're going to take that with them. Yeah, so I look for Brazil to win the group. Uh, and it's going to be close. 
Agreed. Between yeah. Switzerland and Costa Rica. But I actually think this is Switzerland's golden generation. Uh, Switzerland is just going to edge them out. Good stuff. Group F. Uh, Germany, Mexico, Sweden, and South Korea. For me, this is another easy group. I mean, Germany talent-wise is just simply too strong. Uh, they won the Confederations Cup last summer with essentially a second and third team. Okay. Uh, in this group, it's Germany through and a dogfight between the others for the next spot. I mean, because they seem to be evenly matched, although I would say that Mexico always seems to produce high-quality and high-caliber footballer, but they seem to always underachieve. So Germany uh, Germany's my pick to win the entire tournament. Okay. Uh, easily the deepest team. I hope not. I mean, honestly, I mean, it just not, 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 not that I, think, I, I, I dislike think Germany. They, I just don't want to see that kind of football win again. They have the best manager oh, yeah. uh, in the tournament. Uh, probably the second best keeper if Neuer's healthy. Uh, probably the best back line. Close to Spain's midfield. And yeah. and you really can't compete against their strikers either. Mm -hmm. uh, and and like I said, you look at the players that they left at home. Germany could have qualified another team into this World oh, Cup. Another two, in my opinion, to be honest with you. Well, you got to take 23 players. Yeah, I so know, let's I know. be real. But two, I mean, again, I mean they, they could have easily sent three teams to this World Cup. That's how much talent they have. Uh, Mexico is young. They're going to get on the front foot. Uh, and I think that is going to make them successful against Sweden and South Korea after watching how those teams qualified. Uh, Sweden didn't have to play well to knock out a subpar Italy. Like, no, 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 no. Let's... I, I, listen, I mean, you know, everybody thinks that that was a big deal. That Italian team was horrible. Like, let's just be honest about that. And it, you didn't really take much ingenuity to knock out that Italian team. Italy lost that time more than Sweden was oh, that time. Definitely. But? But they lost. And at the end of the day, Sweden is at the World Cup. Yeah. Listen, listen, all you Italian fans. That was one of the worst displays of football I have ever seen. Uh, I And uh, there's no excuses this time around. If you could have made one change to that Italian team that you think would have made them qualify, I would be, it, be it a player, a tactical change, one change. I would have never uh, gone with the coach. I mean, to have appointed Ventura was uh, absurd. I mean, given all the people who, who could have done that job, you know? To me, there was one... A lot of TFC supporters and a lot of people in Canada think Giovinco would have been the the change to make. But what what my thought is, is a different striker. Yeah, Giovinco is no longer at that level. We, we saw that throughout all of qualifying that Italy could not score goals. Yeah. At all. But that has more, I think, to do with tactics. But let's not make this about Italy. No, okay? I just my change would have been Balotelli. Balotelli would have scored goals for this team. Absolutely, easily. I mean, it's a it's a crime what's happened to this this young man's career. To be honest with you, uh, he should be at like a, a major European club. And uh, not to say that that the French league is rubbish or that Nice is, but he he should be at a major club right now. I agree with you. And uh, lastly, just South Korea has great attacking talent. In the, in the Premier yeah. League, uh Min Sun uh, at Tottenham obviously comes to mind. He's the leading Asian scorer in all of the Premiership history. Um, but uh, they were actually really lucky to qualify too. So, but they, uh, they have a tradition, right? They have a tradition, and tradition matters at this level. Yeah, so they, they got through in their qualifying. Um, 
they were lucky to uh, Syria ended up Iran scored in like the 92nd minute. If Syria had won, Syria would have that been, would have been amazing. Syria would have qualified instead of South Korea. Yeah. Um, for me, look for Germany and Mexico to qualify with ease. I picked Germany and I reluctantly picked Mexico uh, simply because I saw I have a big soft spot for Mexican football. Mexican teams always do well in the group stage, yeah. but we never see them really get past that round of 16. This could be the year depending on the matchup they get. All right. Group G. This one is uh, not really exciting uh, other than who might win the group. And I'm going to press you on this question as to who you think is going to win. Uh, we have Belgium, England, Panama, uh, and Tunisia. Okay, I'm sorry, but there will be something terribly wrong with the world of football if Belgium and England do not make it out of this group. Okay, uh, I uh, I think that this is actually, despite what everybody uh, says, and when, when I mean everybody, all the so-called football experts, I really like this English squad. I think they actually have, for the first time in a long time, a kind of well-rounded squad with uh, a sensible manager, okay? I think they can punish you. Uh, I love some of the guys that, that they've called up, people like Loftus-Cheek, of course, Harry Kane. Uh, I think that this team could, you know, if they run into a good form, they could actually be a team that might actually be a dark horse to win this tournament. Now, Belgium. On the other hand, it's just the first 11. Uh, I would put that first 11 up against Brazil, Germany, anybody. I think that there's problems with management. Uh, I, I don't think Martinez is uh, the kind of guy who can pull a team like this together. But, um, and we've talked about this, okay? And I'll, I'll be bringing this up again. This De Bruyne-Hazard matchup in the midfield, if it takes off, okay? Uh, I see Belgium going to the final four. Uh, I see Belgium finishing first, and I see England second, but on goal difference. Okay. Um, if De Bruyne and Hazard are as good as they have been made out to be over the past few years, they must put it together at this tournament. Yeah. It is, it is an absolute must. They must make a run deep. Not just win this group, but they must make a deep run in this tournament. And I... I'm not sure, again, and it might be because I agree with you on Martinez, it might be uh, the management thing. S England and Belgium play each other last yeah. in the group, which is going to decide who wins this group and who plays second. The most interesting part of that is they are going to see the result of who is in the other groups and who their matchup is going to be. Yes. And that is really going to determine... Do you want to win this group? Or do you just going to play or, a training match? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't... I, I mean, look, that's going to be the interesting part here. And uh, I think when we get to our podcast, uh, we're going to have a podcast actually after two out of the three uh, group stages matches. And I think this is will be where, where a lot of this discussion will start to hash itself out. Um, but again, I'm just going to repeat. I... I, I <laughs> If, if Belgium and England don't get out of this group with ease, uh, there is something terribly wrong with English and 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 uh, well English football because most of these players playing Bel from Belgium playing the Premiership anyways. Yeah. Okay. I think Belgium's success is going to come down to the health of its backline. Uh, you have <laughs> the uh, he's made a glass. Let's be honest. 
Vincent Company is made of glass. I don't think I've ever seen a player as like as injury prone as him over the last twenty years. Maybe someone like well, no, Michael Owen didn't even what, experience. Uh, um, the, the fellow who went to, to Real Madrid, uh, John, yeah, Jonathan, Jonathan Woodgate, Woodgate. Yeah. would be the, yeah. the best example to make uh, yeah. a, a comparison to. England's success is going to rely on whether or not that midfield stays healthy. They've, it, I like this team. I agree with you, but my my concern about this this English team is they've really only brought two holding midfielders. Well, they've always been weaker, but you know, I don't like that they. I think. My concern was bringing uh, a player like Jake Livermore, who got relegated this season with West Brom, over uh, over someone like even though Jack Wilshire cannot play back, sitting in that type of role, uh, I would have I would have brought Jackie Wheelchair over <laughs> uh, over, over Jake Livermore. I love uh, the I, other the other issue that um, that is coming up with them is Harry Kane looks exhausted already, and this is because Tottenham has not found a second striker to give Harry Kane the rest that he needs. Uh, that's going to mean that players like uh, Marcus Rashford, uh, Jamie Vardy, um, and a lot of those guys in the midfield, depth, Deli Ali, uh, Jesse Lingard. Those are good God players. Forbid, God forbid we have to rely on Raheem Sterling, who I know you and I are not. I think he's one of the most overrated players in the world today. Now, this tournament could prove us wrong. And uh, as, sure. as someone who's going to watch this English team and has booked time off to watch this English team, I really hope he proves us wrong in this tournament. Um, this is Panama's first World Cup, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, they actually created a national holiday because they, uh, they qualified for the World Cup. Uh, I don't really. They qualified ahead of the U.S. Uh, was the population of Panama is like four million people versus three hundred and twenty million in the U.S. Um, again, let's not get into the U.S. not qualifying. We could do a whole podcast on teams, uh, specifically four teams that did not qualify. Wow! Uh, and we know exactly what those four teams are. That's how it works, so you know. Uh, Tunisia is returning to the World Cup for the first time in twelve years. Strong football tradition, but I just you know, they've I'm, never gotten beyond the group stage. Yeah. At the club level, the Tunisia has an extraordinarily rich tradition. Uh, they've also won quite often uh, a history of winning the African Nations Cup. However, uh, you know when you when you look down at their roster, uh, this is not a team I think that could put up with the kind of superstars that both Belgium and, and England have. Uh, and surprisingly, I have it down as the exact same thing as you, Belgium, to win the group on goal difference over England because I'm predicting a nil, a really really boring nil nil draw to solve the group. That was a good analysis, Steve. Thanks, man. Uh, and down to our last group, and I think the group that's actually going to be the most, it could be really fun to watch. because or it could be really boring. Either one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have Poland, Senegal, Colombia, and Japan. Um, Steve, this could be a wild group, man. I mean, in many ways... All of these teams are really evenly matched, though I might give Colombia the edge. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, this goes on its previous reputation and the reputation of some of its stars. But, you know, Poland is, is a tough team to, to dislodge. Uh, Senegal is, uh, you know, one of these teams that comes out of Africa that has an extraordinary talent reserve. Um, a lot of their players are in the French League. And uh, again, you know, we kind of, I, I think you dismissed the, the French League at, at, at your own peril. 
Um, Japan, they play some of the most exciting football. Um, whether they do it again this time is another story. You know, they, they, they've yet to really achieve. Um, I'm going to just, I, I, I'm going to be very conservative here, and I'm going to pick Colombia and Poland. So I think it's a fun group as well. Uh, Poland has probably one of the top five strikers in the world right now. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Lewandowski scored 16 goals in qualifying, which was a European high. Mm -hmm. uh, Senegal are back at the World Cup since 2002. I don't know if you remember back in 2002, they actually knocked France out in the round of 16. Dude, I uh, cashed in big on that game. I put a five-pound bet on that game way back in 2002. Everybody thought it was crazy, and I walked away with about... 220 pounds. They were the, uh, at that time, they were only the second uh, African team to reach the final eight. Uh, Sadio Mane and the rest of that team, uh, they're fast. Oh, yeah. They play at a very fast pace, uh, and they're going to bring that to the group, and it's not something that I think Poland or Japan would have experienced throughout their qualifying, uh, qualifying times. Uh, Colombia didn't qualify until the last day of qualifying. Uh, how... I agree. They have a team on paper could probably make the quarterfinals. Easy. Uh, Peckerman has coach. has them organized for the tournament, and they they do look good going in uh, since uh, since they're qualifying. Uh, last we have Japan, a lot of players with European experience, but uh, they don't have the star power this time yeah. this time around. And no. uh, not not saying that Poland, Senegal, and Colombia have this massive amount of star power, but there's a there's a gulf in in quality there. Yeah, um, I'm looking for Colombia to win the group, Senegal to finish second. Very good. All right, uh, time for a break, Julian. I'm going to play a chant for you while we're on our break because uh, we're about to speak about who we think our standout players of this tournament are going to be. So this chant is about a player who uh, who deserves tons of recognition uh, as being one of the best midfielders to have ever played the game. And this is his last World Cup. We will be right back. And we are back. Uh, Julian, uh, who do you think is going to be one of the, or give me your top five standout players at this tournament? Yeah, Steve, you know, this is kind of tough because um, they're going to sound very conservative, but I might as well, I mean, go down the line. I mean, I have to start off by saying we are football fans at, Perhaps an incredibly great time. I mean, we're really, really lucky to be watching football when you have Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo on two the on two of the same on, on two teams that are fierce rivals in the same league and watching them compete. And I mean, and we're going to see them in a, in a World Cup again. And I think it would be foolish, to be honest with you, and kind of silly not to say that they are going to be players that you have to watch. I mean, both of them, you know, in, in, in Ronaldo's case, this could potentially be his last World Cup. Okay. Um, maybe even the second, same could be said for Messi. I think you have to say the same for Messi. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, both of these guys, are, are, I think, are really going to, you know, up the ante and how they play. And I think you're going to see some ex exceptional playing from them. Um, so, I mean, okay, of course, that, that's, a, that's a given. Um, the other fellow, of course, it's another, it's another easy uh, um, uh, pick is Mo Salah. 
Okay, Mohamed Salah right now is uh, is, is an extraordinary player. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, can he carry Egypt? I don't think so. But I mean, uh, it's going to be interesting to see him play in that group. Okay, because he's the kind of guy who has the strength and the power to make the difference. Okay, in a game or two. So I'm I'm going to pick him as my third. The fourth is a duo. And I have big hopes. Um, we've discussed this before, um, and I think your, your your critique is right. I have great hopes to see De Bruyne and Hazard play together. I really want to see what these guys can produce. Uh, I mean, these are two, in my opinion, two of the best midfielders in, in, in the sport today. Uh, De Bruyne, to me, is in the top five uh, players of, in the world right now. Uh, I would really like to see what kind of combination is going to come out of them. Okay, because I think that if these two guys click, Belgium could go very deep into this tournament. My fifth pick uh, is Isco. Okay, um, Isco is a, a tremendous talent. Um, in Argentina, uh, the the friendly against Argentina that Spain demolished them. What was it, five one? Five one or, or six, six one? one. It, was, yeah. it was a yeah. demolished either way. Yeah, Isco was just a was tremendous was in tremendous form, and to see him going to be pairing up with some of those other good Spanish midfielders, I'm I'm going to be very interested to see how he, he plays. Um, the guy, uh, this is a six. I would say it's five B. Is Paul Pogba? Uh, I, I see Paul Pogba as being one of the most gifted footballers uh, of this generation. However, I just don't know what it is that he just doesn't want to kind of like take that extra step. And I think that this is an opportunity for him to kind of show that in this World Cup. Um, the honorable mentions, huh. Um, I mean, there's a lot of players that I think deserve a, a kind of a secondary kind of mention. That are, uh, oh, by the way, if you notice, I left Neymar out, okay? So I was actually going to bring that up with you. Yeah, is Are yeah. there any players that you think are going to massively disappoint at this tournament? Well, I mean, before I do that, I, I want to talk about Ericsson, the, uh, the, uh, the Danish player, and Song, uh, the uh, South Korean player. Uh, I'd like to see them have World Cups. This is a good World Cup. So that's what I want to say, because I really enjoyed watching those two play together at, at uh, Tottenham this year. I thought they were fantastic, and I think that they can, they can do that. Uh, they, they can play very well. The the guys, I mean, holy cow. Uh, who's going to disappoint? Uh, <laughs> well, again, I, I, I'd have to I'd have to go with... with um, I'll speak generally on this one. I'll, I'll say that the French team, okay? Despite the, again, the loads of talent that they have on that team, okay? Um, Pogba, uh, Griezmann, I, I, I actually see them falling flat. Uh, I don't know what it is. I just don't think that they have uh, the drive. Um, they, they're, they're great players in their leagues, but something different is expected of you at, at, at this tournament. You know, this is where players, you know, this is where they reach down deep inside and pull out everything that's not nailed down. Um, I don't see Neymar being that kind of player. And that's why I totally exclude him. I, 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 uh, I, I don't, I, I don't think he, he, he measures up. So really. I think it's, I think it's interesting um, because we did talk about uh, the importance of the Olympics and how the Olympics were viewed, uh, and we did see Neymar lead Brazil to their first ever Olympic gold, and he won it on home soil as a means of, like, as a redemption almost for the absolute shellacking that 
they that, took, yeah. that Germany gave them. Um, that being said, I'm actually not a believer in this Brazilian team making it past the quarterfinals. I think they have some issues at the back. Thiago Silva hasn't been uh, yeah. the defender that he that he once was when he was at Milan. I, in terms of my uh, top five players, uh, first up is uh, a player that always scores goals at World Cups, uh, and that's Muller. <laughs> yeah, Muller. It it does not matter. Uh, Muller gets the ball. There's a good chance it's ending up in the net at the World Cup. Yeah, it, it just it, it it's one of those things that just always happens. Um, Iniesta, uh, as per the chant that we just listened to, uh, this is his last World Cup. Uh, I'm I'm looking for him to make a very big impact in in this team, whether it's uh, whether if he, when he's on the field, but also when he's off the field, because you know that he's going to take a leadership role with with guys like Isco. Um, well, he you know he's just a sublime talent. Um, the only reason I didn't pick him, I don't think he has the forces. To go 90 minutes in a game. You don't need 90 minutes to affect the outcome. I, I, no, I agree. Uh, but I just don't think I... It could I, be the super... Know. Hey, super subs. Super yeah. subs are really important in, yeah. in tournaments like this. And at the same time, you know, you, you, players as they... Uh, you know, we saw it with Zidane in 2006. I mean, he had a tremendous World Cup. And I mean, he just got better and better and better in each game. Um uh, yeah, Iniesta could definitely... Until I, he battered someone with yeah, his... Yeah, well, I mean, but it happens. You know. You don't fall for that. Uh, despite being tired, uh, look for Harry Kane to bang the goals in. Uh, totally, man. I couldn't agree more, but yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, you can never bet against Leo Messi, so I've put him on my list. And I feel kind of bad putting him there because like we already, like we said, we expect... Put too much pressure we, on this we, guy. We man. expect so much greatness I from mean, him. Really, we feel that this guy's got to do something superhuman every time he touches the ball. I, I kind of feel bad for him. Um, however, player of the tournament, uh, and this is because their team's going to win the World Cup, in my opinion, defender Josh Kimmich from Germany. Wow. Uh, wow. Who Where did won, that one come he from? He won Germany's Player of the Year this year. Uh, he was Bayern Munich's Player of the Year. Uh I think he's going to really play, even though he's young, he's going to play a significant leadership role in in that team because it's a young team still. There are a lot of those horses around still, but uh, let's face it, he plays a, a leadership role at Bayern, uh, and he's going to do the same for this national team. Uh, in terms of guys that we might be surprised by uh, and someone I think is going to have a terrible World Cup and is going to get benched after the first game, Deli Alley. Absolutely. Yeah, I kind of like Deli Ali. I just wish he'd kind of get his head on straight. Uh, I think he's going to be replaced. Now, again, maybe my bias is peeking through a little bit here, but Jesse Lingard has had probably one of the best seasons uh, of his career, and I think he outplayed. I think he outplayed Deli Ali this season. I think he deserves to start ahead of him. Well, I mean, I'll say something here. Um, look, um, if the English team. It is going to go deep. It's because guys like Deli Ali, uh, Loftus Cheeks, uh, Raheem Sterling, okay, are going to realize their potential and work within the structure of the team that England is sending. It's it's going to be interesting to see the formation that he plays. You look at the team that they brought. Uh, it it's very strongly rumored right now that England is going to play with a back three. Based on the personnel they've brought, it might make sense. Uh, Ashley Young is going to be the starting left back. 
probably been the best left back in all of England all season. Yeah, no, uh, but and he's an attacker. So if you play that third third centre back, you can push him forward. Uh, it, it might work. Uh, I look to uh, Jamie Vardy also having a very good tournament for England uh, as a substitute. He'll come on as a sub player because let's face it, uh, in 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 today's football, is about running, and the dude runs yeah. more than anybody else. And he'll put in a shift because he will, and he can finish, and he'll ta- and and he can tackle too. Yeah, That's the thing. Finish. Yeah, he's willing to track back and do a little bit of the dirty work. So let's just recap a few things here, okay? Before we go into the conclusion, uh, you're taking Germany. Yes. I'm taking Spain. Yes. Okay. Any dark horse, one team. Uh, so I did my bracket. Um, I didn't do my bracket. So yet. I did my bracket. My bracket actually came out to England versus Germany in the final. Okay. Tell me that there was not a little bit of a bias there. Uh, based on this English team and how I think they can defend. Plus, they, they drew Brazil nil-nil uh, in a friendly just recently. Uh, and they drew Germany nil nil in a friendly in Germany. You know how I feel. The about horses that. are there. England versus Germany would be a to me a classic World Cup final that uh, that a tournament like this would deserve. It would be better if the tournament was in England. I'd be stoked. I, 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 about I just that. I just want to say first but, of all that friendlies don't matter. Okay, just let's put well, that on the table. The, the, yeah, the, 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 Italians yeah, don't we, think yeah. that yeah, that's fine. Yeah, the friendlies don't matter. Uh, I did not do my bracket. But my dark horse is Argentina. Okay? That's fair. Uh, and that's it. Um, uh, on the other side, uh, I mean, really, uh, I, I don't see... I, I would love to see... Um, and I, I, every year I say this, I would love to see a team from Africa make it to the Final Four. Um, I just don't see that happening, this this uh, this World Cup. I really wish it would. Um, but... You know, you never know, right? Uh, Nigeria has the, has the, has this kind of talent that they could actually surprise. We have to remember the Super Eagles have won like yeah. numerous youth World Cups, and now this team has finally grown to this tournament. So maybe this tournament gets viewed as a as a learning experience, and then twenty twenty two in Qatar. It's quite possible. Let's not talk about that World Cup yet. Well, we don't know if it's going to be there yet. Yeah, so let's, so. let's be let's be clear. Yeah. But either way, but, uh, I agree. I would love to see either not no no offense to any of the other African teams that are there, but I think if anybody's going to do it, Nigeria or Senegal are going to be the teams that do it. Here's the thing. I mean, again, I really love to see this. Unfortunately, when it's going to come down to the quarterfinals, I think we're going to see the same uh, cast of characters. The usual suspects are going to be there. Uh, I know that sounds a little bit conservative, but I just, I just, just the way the talent balances out at this point. Um, I just want to say one thing: it's going to be interesting to see uh, after uh, the first round how well our predictions measure up. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll have to see uh, just uh, if we actually really know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, I mean uh, that's it. Um, Anything else? Any? any uh, uh... So I want to bring up the so-called group of group of teams that didn't make it, and I want to ask you of the okay. four of the four teams, uh, who do you think uh, should have qualified and would well, have let, played well in this tournament? So those four teams, teams are would be uh, Chile, the U.S., Italy, and the Netherlands. So let me let me ask you again: What, what exactly are you asking me again? Uh, which of the teams that I think of those four? Which of them probably deserve to be at this tournament the most? You can pick two. 
And which of those four do you think could actually go far if they were at this tournament could have gone far? Well, I'm not going to answer your question directly because I don't think any of those four teams deserved to, to be in the World Cup given the way that they played in the qualifying rounds. They all played lousy, okay? Um, if you're going to say which team that I would have liked to have seen at this World Cup, it's not Italy, okay? I'm actually kind of relieved that Italy is not going to be there. This is going to be the first time for a long time that I can actually, you know, enjoy this World Cup without cursing like a sailor and having my blood pressure go through the ceiling. Um, I would have liked to have seen the United States there. Um, you know, I, I wow, you know, 10 years ago, if you would have asked me to talk like this about American football, I, I would have... Um, I would have just said, no, no way. I just don't want to see American imperialism dominate another corner of the globe or another another cultural avenue. Uh, however, um, I do like how they've played. Uh, I, I like players like Bradley. Uh, I, 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 I just don't think that their administration, uh, I mean, I think Klinsman really did a number on them. I think it, it really truly revealed not only a gap in culture between European sports, the way Europeans view sporting, uh, and the way the, the uh, uh, Americans view sports, but um, I don't think he was he he's a good manager. I think that you know he well, was. I, I don't think I think we agree on that. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure neither of us were very big fans of him as a no, player. And, and, and I think he did a disservice to a, a very talented uh, uh, American squad. Do you do you think because they brought in Bruce Arena? Um, do you think that a different manager would have been a better choice? Bob, mm -hmm. Bob Bradley, perhaps? No, I actually like Bruce Arena. I, I think Bruce Arena uh, has, 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 a, has a really good understanding of, of, of the talent pool. I think he says stupid things. Uh, what was the stupid thing that he said about something about, uh, you know, uh, European football that, uh, that we have to be recognized on par with them? I, I, I don't think so. Something to that effect, right? Uh, but I think I think uh, Bruce Arena is actually a smart football guy, you know, and uh, he kind of knew uh, what to do. I think they brought him in too late. That's the problem. That's fair. Uh, I would have. Uh, I, I was, to be honest, um, the biggest surprise for not qualifying uh, was was a toss up between the U.S. and Chile. Like, let's face yeah. it, they they won the Copa America two times in a row. They should have qualified for this tournament. But you and I have talked about this before, and you have said this often. That Chilean team, there, there's no team that has played more football matches over the last eight years than that Chilean team. The only team that comes close would be, actually, well, Argentina made those yeah. both finals. Argentina has played probably the same amount of games. They're exhausted. Um, I yeah, mean, and their players... There's a significant exhaustion. Their, sure. their star players are all on major clubs that go deep into tournaments. You take, for example, Arturo Vidal, who played with Bayern Munich and Juventus. Both teams went... When he was there, both teams all went deep into the tournaments that they were in the finals. Sanchez know? as well. Sanchez, yes, of course. Um, Alexi Sanchez, yes. Okay. Well, that about does it for us here today at Bella Hutman's Curse. Julian, any final thoughts? Yeah, please share this pod with your friends. Uh, let us know what you think. Um, we haven't had our email account or a Twitter account set up yet. We do have uh, um, this group within the, the Facebook group called Bella Hutman's Curse. Um, you know, we're open for constructive criticism. Be nice, you know. Uh, I know I got a Fred Flintstone kind of voice, 
Um, also, stay tuned for more because uh, we intend to do this. And, uh, you know, there's a group of you that we've already kind of tipped off. We really want you to appear on this. Um, like I said, we really want to make this participatory and uh, very democratic. And, uh, yeah, let's see how we uh, pull this off. Let's see how, how our predictions measure up. Yeah. Perfect. So to give you all a schedule for what we uh, what we hope to do over the World Cup in order to kind of provide the most comprehensive experience of, of the World Cup uh, along podcasts and coverage. Um, you'll have this podcast, which is our overview. We're hoping then to bring you another podcast on June 25th, uh, which will uh, go over the first two matches of the group stage in each group. Uh, later on, on June 28th, we will review the group stages and discuss the matchups for the round of 16. July 3rd, we will, uh, we will offer our uh, opinions on how those matches went, as well as our prognosticos for the quarterfinals. Uh, and then that will be on July 8th. July 11th, we'll do the same thing for the semifinals. And then on July 16th, we will cover the finals, uh, as well as go over how successful our predictions have been. We are keeping a tally of these. Um, if you choose to keep a tally and hold our feet to the fire... We don't have a problem with that either. Feel free to make fun of us for just uh, how bad we might actually do on these. Um, before we sign off, I just want to say one thing. I'm hoping that this will be successful enough that by the time the finals come along, we can have a roundtable discussion. We can organize this on Skype. There's a lot of you on, on the group that I'm very curious to get uh, feedback from. And if you want to appear, uh, contact us somehow. And uh, we'll, see what, we'll, we'll see what kind of arrangements we can make. And just one last thing, Forza Crotone. I want to see you guys stay up in Syria. Ah, and God forgive me for one moment to say, but go Scousers, go. Oh, that's difficult. Uh, I'm not, I can't even, yeah. There, there, go on YouTube. There's a really good rant by a Manchester United fan about how, you know, City won the league this year. We're up against Chelsea in the FA Cup final, and God forbid we lose that one. And if Liverpool wins the Champions League, <laughs> not a good year for you guys. No, huh? it will be, uh, it will be frustrating. Uh, that's all for us from Bella Hoodman's Curse. Have a wonderful day.